Welcome to the Bike Portland podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Moss. Before we get into this week's episode, I'd like to thank our wonderful advertisers and monthly subscribers. It's their support that helps create not only this podcast, but all the other news and resources we provide for the community. Local media matters, and it will only survive if you step up to support it. So thank you. Now let's get into the episode. This week, we've got another installment in our Shop Talk series, and I'm excited to welcome Splendid Cycles co-owners Barb and Joel Grover. This duo has been working in the local bike scene since the 1980s. Uh, They came up through the ranks as employees of the Bike Gallery, uh, which was one of the largest bicycle retail chains in the country. Joel was a product analyst and buyer for many years at Bike Gallery, and when cargo bikes first came onto the scene in the U.S. in the mid to late aughts, he and Barb had a feeling they weren't reaching their potential being sold in traditional bike shops. So they decided to take a big risk. They left Bike Gallery in 2009 to create a shop that would sell only cargo bikes. And despite being laughed at by some of their peers, as you'll hear in this episode, Splendid Cycles opened one year later. In 2014, four years after they opened, their business was so strong, they moved from their tiny storefront on Lower Southeast Belmont to a larger location in an industrial building in the Central East Side, right next to the Southeast 4th Avenue entrance of the Springwater Corridor Path. That's where we recorded this episode. And just FYI, uh, you might notice from the audio that we did so with our masks on. Before we sat down for the interview, Barb and Joel gave me a tour of the shop and we talked about a few of the bikes they sell. We also went out front where Barb explained to me why they installed a freshwater spigot that's free and open for anyone to use 24-7. In our interview, you'll get to know a bit more about Barb and Joel. Uh, You'll understand why they're so deeply appreciated and loved by so many people in our community. You'll also learn how being located next to the Springwater has impacted their business, uh, how the e-bike market has changed in the past decade, how they define the cargo bike lifestyle, what type of people are investing in that lifestyle, uh, why they only sell high-end bikes, what keeps them inspired to come uh, into work every day, and much more. Here's our conversation. Yeah, super welcoming. Those doors full of windows, letting all the light in, the industrial space, which is kind of really high ceilings, which I see you've managed to, I think you're probably, I don't know, the only cargo bike shop I've seen that actually has like frame, frame sets, frame <laughs> sets on the wall, which is so typical for I like know, a, it's a, bike shop a more thing. traditional shop, but right? like, what yeah. are these are like what skeletons of what kind of bikes are up above here hanging? Well, yeah, the Larry vs. Harry bullet cargo bike, uh, which is really what we got our start, you know, importing, uh, you know, we've had well over a thousand of them roll through here in, you know, over a decade. Uh, majority of the Larry Versary bullets we sell now are electric assisted and those, those come factory built. And we, we buy direct from Taiwan in uh, ocean going containers. So our next order was supposed to arrive in a few weeks, but it got delayed all the way out to uh, late July. So <laughs> speaking of sort of like building up bikes custom, uh, tell me about these really beautiful wooden cargo boxes here with what look like these sort of like custom designs, these inlaid different hardwoods. What's going on with these? Yeah, so uh, Jeff, who operates under his, his business is Badger Bikes. He, he's been building these wood boxes for the Bullet Cargo Bikes and for us since probably 2012. Uh, and he has probably almost 300 of those through. Uh, so we do these in various designs and sizes, as you can see. Oh, cool. Uh, 
You got like a tree design. Oh, I like the palm tree one. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Is yeah. that a rose motif? Oh, look at the, tr the uh, Tillicum Bridge. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then oh, there's a mountain, a mountain one as yeah. well. Those are sort nice. of our key nice. designs that he does. And I love this child seat of the the Larry vs. Harry. Yes. It's got this like five point, yeah, like a Ferrari, amazing? which is perfect for Larry vs. Harry because I always think of them as this like fast, the fastest of the family bikes. Well, you know? and just or very high jet, tech. Uh, yeah, yeah, very high tech, high quality. High very, quality vibe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, then Black Packs bakes the, the rain canopies. So oh, yeah, right. Jeremy has been, you know, he's made, I don't know, 400, 500 of those for us. Yeah, That's and great. he makes them for uh, other cargo bikes decade. too. Now we're walking into like the turn room. I didn't even know you had this till I, I, I stopped by a couple yeah. days ago. This is amazing. Yeah. A whole room dedicated to turn, which speaks not only to like, these are really great bikes, but Portlanders love these things. Like, you see them everywhere. Yeah, we set, we've sent them to other places too. You yeah. know, I just uh, sold one to a guy who's a part-time park ranger in Yosemite. Part-time being part of the year. Oh, you know, we'll probably so, sell well over 100 of these yeah. this year, the HSD and the GSD, and we love this bike, uh, and they're perfect for Portlanders. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Yeah, and then there's e-bikes, so just plain old e-bikes, which we got into because our e-cargo bike customers needed a bike for the other partner that wasn't riding the cargo bike. That's right. This is impressive to see because yeah. I know these are really great, but these are really high-quality Yeah e-bikes that yeah, high end. Yeah, people that know know. Yeah. And you get these Risa Muellers and they're yeah. just like super great. It, you know, that we kind of compare them to uh, Mercedes, you know, mm. where yeah, there there is sort of a cachet to the brand, but that's not the whole reason you're paying that's not the reason you're paying more money. You know, there is quality um, both in terms of geometry and design and ride character as well as manufacturing. Yeah, and for example, like if you want a, an internal gear hub belt drive full suspension, dual battery, you know, dual battery yeah. being 100 miles of range, you know, there is, there's virtually no, nothing else on the market. So, and there, uh, there, Reese and Mueller just jumps in both feet on that. Yeah, and they're like real believers, because I'm seeing all these have suspension, yes. which Every I know a lot of e-bikes bike. have, and if mm -hmm. you're going faster, I get that, but like they're really like about oh, yes. suspension. That's yeah, yeah. part of their design ethic, yeah, right? Yeah. And in fact, yeah. it's like one of the uh, bikes they make a dual, there's a dual suspension bike, that you know, we've seen people choose for long distance commuting, for example, like there was a gentleman that car broke down, he lives down in Oregon City, has to commute to downtown. Does he buy a new car or does he buy a full suspension Risa Mueller bike? Well, get, he chose the bike, right? So you know, that quality of a ride for that distance for him after a long day, hard day at the courthouse, yeah. you know, or downtown, wherever he was working, you know, that's, that makes a difference for folks. And so it's, you know, people's, yeah, they're expensive, but they're replacing cars. Okay, so I want to walk outside and take a look at this water spigot sticking out of the side of your building here. Now, it's um, it's it's not set up as a drinking fountain, and I've heard it's for more than just people coming by with their bikes and filling up water bottles. So, so Barb, you got to tell me what is up with this water spigot. Yeah, well, you see we have a sign here, and it's to address to our friends, neighbors, and trail users. So it's really for everybody. You can see, too, the sign says that we think water access to water, drinking water is a human right. So if you know the Springwater Trail area, you know there's a couple of things going on here. A, the trailhead where we are has no support for the users, right? So here's a guy coming off the trail. We have no idea. He's got a water bottle. It's probably empty. Right. Yet it is a main entrance. There's a it whole is, archway and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the main entrance. It's like, a, what, the busiest trail in the state? Which is, it's managed like a park. So it is actually a Portland Parks property. But, but yeah, so you're saying there's no support. Where's the wayfinding? Yeah. Where's the water? Yeah. I mean, we don't even really have official parking for the trail users here. Hmm. Finally, we have porta potties but that was put in 
because of the COVID, helping our mm -hmm. neighbors have a safe place to find a facility. Mm -hmm. And so this is also for our neighbors. And by neighbors, I mean, we have a lot of people that are houseless that live down here. And it is hot down here in the summer, like both for trail users, anybody that's living here. And so, you know, I don't know where the nearest water is. I hear it's down by the fire station, maybe down quite a ways. What is that? At least half a mile. I'm guessing. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit. So, so yeah. folks who are living in tents and living in some of the encampments mm -hmm. down here, probably mm -hmm. from pretty far away, they're coming yep. and getting fresh yep. water from here. Yep, they're coming down the trail. You know, we'll see people um, come up with their bike or a trailer or a stroller, a grocery cart, a skateboard, even driving mm. up. There's people who drive up in vehicles and fill large water jugs. Wow, and um, I heard, I was talking to Joel earlier and he, was, he said something about, at, at times there's been like, if people were trying to maybe break into the shop uh, or something, yeah. do something bad, yeah. some of these folks who've been using your water who also yeah. live out here, live yeah. on the street, they kind of came up and were like, hey, that's I our know. water source, don't mess with Splendid. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And you know, it's become a bit of a legend from what we've heard of, you know, people way out at 205 or 82nd that are talking to someone we know about us because they know about the water. Wow. You know, they thought, oh, splendid. Yeah, that's where they have the water. You know, so it's really well known. And, you know, I talk to people all the time that are living down here, and often when we're here, but I also visit them sometimes at their camps and see what's going up, checking in on them. And, you know, I, they're always so appreciative of the water. Many, many people, too, will just poke their head in and say, thank you so much. And, you know, it's a really important thing. Um, Yes, we pay for it out of our pocket. You know, it's not free. The city isn't supporting us and yeah, giving say, it away. Especially, especially if people are filling up big jugs, and <laughs> yeah. I'm sure folks are, are washing yeah. and doing more than just Absolutely. filling up here and there for a drink, right? Yes. So it's got to yes. add up yes. money-wise for the yes. shop. Yeah. And how long have you had it out here? I think it's probably been at least, so we, we moved into this space December of 2013, and so it was maybe the following summer or, the, or so that we put it in. You know, it was blazing hot day and we're looking out here and it's like where you know people are coming in and asking for water where else can they go so we installed this hired a plumber to help us set up a hose so it can be accessed 24 7 and it's you know it doesn't shut off except when it's freezing and we you know even then it has to be you know mm. that 20 degrees and multiple days for us to shut it off to protect the pipe but otherwise it's open 24 7 365 days a year free wow. i love it full and service shop yeah Floor yeah. pump, free tools, and water spigot. <laughs> and water spigot. If you need it. Well, yeah. Okay, well, thanks for the tour of the shop. You know, one reason I want to come and talk to shop owners and shop folks is to kind of give people a little bit more background on who's, who are the folks running these shops, you know? Like, uh, if you, I'd love if each of you could just share kind of like how you got into, or if, how'd you get to Portland? Have you always been here or what? So go <laughs> ahead, Barb. So I moved here in my high, senior year of high school. I moved to the Portland area. And then after college, I was back up here working. And I was working in a job I absolutely hated. And prior to that, I'd lived in San Francisco for about a year and just wanted a bike, wanted a bike, wanted a bike. And it didn't work down there. I didn't have the money and it didn't, wasn't a great environment. So as soon as I got back here, I bought the first bike I could afford, you know, a cheap like Fuji upright handlebar bike and started riding that and just got so into it because I hated my job. So I'd like Get on the bike and just ride this is after the late work. 80s. That was uh, so 19. Well, that was about yeah, 19, yeah, yeah. 1985. Okay. And then by then, so then eventually I got upgraded to a road bike and just got really into road biking. Did 
lots of road bike events. And so about two years into that, about 87, I got recruited multiple times to at the shop that I was frequenting because I was it was a shop called Tailwind Outfitters in Beaverton that did backpacking, cross-country ski, and bike. And I was kind of into all those things. And they recruited me. And about the third or so time they asked, I was like so fed up with my job. It's like, I don't care if it's half the pay. I'm going to go do this. I thought I was going to go back to school and do it, which I did. And, you know, eventually dropped the school realizing, oh, this is great. You know, I don't need to think about what I want to be. I'm just going to do something that I'm enjoying doing, which was working in this bike shop. So that was 1987. And, uh, Worked for about 11 years and, and you know, kind of hit the ceiling. You know, I'd done everything. I'd done bike fitting. I'd done managing. I'd done mechanical stuff. I'd done lots and lots of stuff. Leading rides, you name it. You know, I was like, man, you know, sort of had done it all and decided to go back to graduate school. I was gone for about six years working for the city as a city planner. And uh, that wasn't for me. It wasn't a environment that was healthy for me. And so I left that, got recruited back to the bike gallery at that point. Um, Tailwind got purchased by the back gallery, by the way. Yeah, and about that time I went in right at the junction of that. I left just as Tailwind was getting purchased but became the store manager at the Hollywood Bike Gallery. And that was late 80s. So, uh, yeah. And then, you know, went again, went back to school. Then left the city, went back to the bike gallery, worked there for another six years and thought I was done with, again with the industry because... At that point, again, it was like, well, I don't know, the next, you know, but Joel had this great idea of, you know, opening this shop. So I'll stop there and maybe he can tell his story. <laughs> so you're, you're almost like a bike, a bike shop lifer in a way. You've been around a long time. Yeah, I've boomeranged, you know, and mm. I, I mean, I worked uh, briefly in a, for a wholesaler and that wasn't a great environment for me either. You're you know, sort of I'm, drawn back to, to the biking. You know, you know, what feeds me is really interacting with people, enriching people's lives, sharing what I love, which isn't the parts. It's the experience, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, even though I could back in the day talk to you about titanium and carbon and, you know, you name it, that's not why I'm here, you know? It was really interacting with people, sharing something I loved, which is the experience, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that. And Joel, so similar, or how did you end up in Portland and get involved with the, with the bike shop world here? Right after college, I uh, made the decision that I, w I wanted to work in a bike shop as, uh, you know, briefly. For the summer, a, right? Yeah, yeah, for the <laughs> summer, buy a touring bike and then, and then go touring across the country. Uh, that was the summer of 1988. I worked for Tailwind Outfitters out there in Beaverton, and that's where Barb and I met. Uh, and like her, I found I really enjoyed it. Like, you know, it, this was, you know, lots of fun. It was paying the bills. And, uh, you know, 34 years later, uh, I'm still in the bike industry. Still has so a it's summer no job. longer <laughs> a summer job. But, you know, briefly, I... Uh, you know, ended up, you know, managing the Beaverton store, you know, for the bike gallery for Jay, uh, you know, all until the late 90s. And then I came over to the corporate office and was working, you know, as a buyer and an analyst for for many years, all the way up until, when was that? That oh, was, eight, uh, yeah, 2009. Yeah. Barb and I left and we opened uh, Splendid Cycles in, in early 2010. And that was just more a uh, realization that I think, you know, this whole segment of the of the bike market of cargo bikes and electric bikes and its transformative effect on you know places like portland that there had to have been an opportunity there and it's like 
I knew getting in early, uh, you know, was was key. And so, you know, the first year or two were were pretty pretty thin. You know, a lot of just working by myself there. Uh, and yeah, then I was working another part time job to help pay the bills for the business, plus yeah. coming to the business and doing various things. Too. Yeah, yeah, I remember that storefront on Belmont. It's pretty yeah. small. Now, Very thinking small. about all the space you need for these bikes, it must yeah. have been super cramped. And so, just for folks that don't know, and, and I'll be, I'll, it'll be in the show notes and everything, and I'm going to definitely introduce this. But just to sort of underscore, like, how do you describe what Splendid Cycles is? Everybody in Portland knows it as like, the cargo bike, e-bike shop, but is that kind of how you see it? When you started it, it was... Yeah, yeah. When we started, it was uh, cargo bikes. Uh, and, you know, our, our main focus was importing the Larry vs. Harry Bullets. Mm, mm. Uh, you know, that was the first thing. And then we were just sort of plugging in different brands that would that would talk to us and sell bikes to us. But extra cycle was a big one. Yeah. Before. Extra cycle back, back in the day for sure. Uh, but you mentioned Joseph Ahern's bikes. Yeah. Those are beautiful, lovely work cycles big, with the big uh, yep, rack on the front. So yep. like these are, it's always been about like car replacement and family, yep. family riding. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And metro I think feats, we had Metro. Oh, feats. that's right. Yeah. 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 But I think our focus has always been sort of more on the higher end. So, you know, you know, I saw ourselves as, you know, vetting, you know, making sure what we had was quality that, you know, we didn't have throwaway disposable bikes with junky parts, uh, that, you know, were scary to ride. You know, I didn't want anything to do with that. We wanted bikes that could be serviced and maintained and, uh, you know, so they tend to be a little more on the higher end and, uh, you know, we, we think that's worth it though. You know, uh, you buy a good bike and maintain it. It'll, it'll last a long time. And then when you're done with it, there's still a lot of value left in it. And you could sell it used for probably more than you could ever imagine. Yeah, the re you know? resale values are great right now on, on bikes, yeah. So like yeah. cars too. But yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Joel, so I don't know if people heard, but you said earlier how you were like a product and a buyer for Bike Gallery. And I don't want to let that slip for folks because Bike Gallery was like one of the biggest shops around in the country, really, if you took the totality of the business. And uh, so, Joel, you were like responsible. You were going to the, the trade shows and looking at all the latest yeah. gadgets and all yeah. that. So well, I know that kind of like how you've approached Splendid and the kind of like high quality focus and good stuff. Like I know... The fact that you have that expertise in parts is a part of that. But also, like you said, you've um, you've said in the past kind of like how the the sort of throwaway consumption aspect of the industry is something that's troubled you. So that's is that another reason why you're kind of trying to, like you said, vet only the best stuff. And so, so knowing the stuff you sell is going to actually last. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think early on, you know, both Barb and I worked at the bike gallery, uh, you know, in the late 2000s, let's say 08, 09. For example, the Larry vs. Harry Bullet, I, I bought, you know, some of those and we were selling them at Bike Gallery. And, you know, we, they were on the Bike Gallery website. Barb and I could see the Google Analytics numbers coming into the website just for that brand alone was just sort of yes, off yeah, the that charts. Was managing their marketing you know, and all that at that point. And so I could see, I know, I was oh, seeing interesting. it and yeah. communicating. Yeah, this yeah, is doing and, well, but they're not being sold by the staff. Why? Yeah. 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 And I think what was key is there is, you know, understanding that, you know, uh, a niche shop that could focus solely on, on products like this, you know, had, had some legs to run, you know, and, you know, that was the idea. And, you know, certainly, you know, those experiences working at the bike gallery, though, where we were a very large shop, I mean, in, in from 2000 to 2010, I mean, we were uh, firing on all eight cylinders there. It's like, you know, we would sell eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 bikes a year, uh, which was a lot of work. 
uh, you know, buying all those bikes, building them up and selling and servicing them. That well, was, distributing them to the six yeah, stores. Yeah, and distributing yeah. out to yeah. different stores. And, you know, that really helped me understand, I think, the the scope of I think, too, the, the, the reason we like the quality things is that, you know, 20 plus years at that point in the industry or wherever we were, we'd had so much experience seeing people come in for repairs on a variety of different bicycles, right? And so we could observe... Mm-hmm. The challenges in taking care of someone that had a bike that was poorly designed or had right. very low quality parts. All the bike shop experience you'd had and seeing seeing yeah. bikes roll in yep. in various stages. Yeah. So, but yeah, so you mentioned like t- 2000 to 2010. I mean, boy, was that that was a heyday for biking in a lot of ways in yeah. Portland more broadly. Yeah. Uh, and I and I can appreciate that that like you know starting up a shop like Splendid that was cargo bike only focused was something of a risk because I do think you were still sort of early to the game, especially oh, yeah. in making that kind of outlay for a, new, oh, yeah. a whole had, shop. You know, I had but, friends coming in and saying, yes, are you sure? Is, <laughs> yeah, especially your friends who come from, I would oh, imagine yeah. a lot of them is sort of the yeah, more mainstream part. Yeah, there's someone whose name we won't mention, but he's people you would know. And yeah. he, he came in well, literally and says, oh, what are you guys thinking? This is not going to work, you know? But, but to, I mean, for folks <laughs> who don't know, though, but like also during that moment, it must have given you a little more confidence to know that so Portland itself had this really interesting and fun ecosystem around cargo bikes like there was you could oh, kind of sense yeah, there was just sure. like yes. meetup groups happening there were like you said there was metro yes. feeds which was like unheard well, of in america to have a cargo bike know, maker Tom Labonte was building yeah you Tom, had all these you know, neat yeah some really fun stuff for people and who else you know there was you know other shops in town that had brought bikes in as well and you know really i think got that cargo bike rolling we cannot take credit for that absolutely and, not yeah you know that was clever science. yeah your your shop was yeah. a real validation that uh, and some yeah. there's other shops in town yeah. too that that had done similar stuff and nobody kind of like really just nailing that like specialty only yeah that's that all one we're thing. gonna do and like you, know, you that carries over today. You walk in here and, you know, you, we had somebody come in yesterday. Oh, do I need a, I need a t- pressure gauge for my tire. I'm like, well, you know, we're pretty limited in the accessories mm. we sell because we've always wanted to focus on sharing what we know about riding these bikes, figuring out what's the, you know, really being experts in those and having a lot of accessories initially was not something we could do. You know, that initial shop was on our bike shop savings, which if you know bike shop, wages that's you know you don't have a lot oh so i see right yeah so right. we we could choose to buy f- bikes or lots of parts and we chose to focus on the bikes mm-hmm. but then we realized that focusing on the bikes also allowed us to really focus on the customers looking at the bikes and that we weren't getting distracted with other sales now those other sales are important but there's how many other shops in town that do that very well as You're well right. so we wanted to do what we did well which was these bikes yeah, and if and, and a few years after the, the shop on Belmont, you were you're doing well enough to you needed more space yes. and you moved here to this, yeah. this this spot here on the on the spring water. Yeah. Um what's it been like being adjacent to the spring water in terms of impacts your business? I, you read the reviews online and almost everybody mentions how nice it was to test ride it uh, out here. Yeah. So spring water for folks who don't know is one of the most popular places to ride uh, in Portland. They're right on like the entry the the northern entry of it, I guess you'd say, yep. right next to yeah. right next to the Ross Island Bridge. So, well, yeah. What's that been like having the the spring water on the on you know adjacent to the shop? It was the key for why we looked at this place. You know, it 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 is really important to us that people can test ride these bikes. When you get on a front loading cargo bike for the first time, everybody feels a little awkward, and having to pay attention to that and traffic 
to us was something we wanted to eliminate if we could, and that we could do here. So we've got the spring water, we, we've got the Tillicum crossing now that came in a few years later, but that's a wonderful test ride for People us. have done that? You can take a test ride over the Tillicum. That just I sounds send people so over fantastic. There, especially people that have never been on it, you know. It's that's like, a great thing for you because go. it's like beautiful Yeah, the Tillicum crossing bridge is our number one salesperson. <laughs> I was going to say, well, that they stop the, mid-span and they're like... I would say it's number two. The kids that come out for test rides are the number one salespeople. Yeah. I mean, there's... Because they love sitting in the... They in love the it. We've had kids yeah. cry when they realize <laughs> test rides over right it's yeah. that much of a selling point you know they kids really really I don't love want these to stop. bikes yeah they don't want to stop typically it, so you come down here you have more space uh at this new location and um you know the cargo bike thing matures i mean you you say i, I love how you said initially it was like a niche within a niche which i really i really get but it's it seems like sort of the the niche has expanded so yeah. much. Oh yeah, yeah. And now not only cargo bikes, but the electrified ones yes. have just been so transformative. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So electric cargo bikes introduced us to electric bikes, right? Then we gained a lot of competency there and understanding of the 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 ESS systems, like from Bosch and Shimano, and you know naturally the net you know the the next step was just to do more more of the e-bikes and because must... our competency is high in understanding and repairing these things so you know that's been a huge uh growth for us the last few years and you must be really excited on how just the the product itself has gotten so much oh better because when you started there were really like internal motors like you were selling yeah. the conversion kits mostly yes. right like right. like the bionics thing you'd add on to a bike which at the time it's we all time, thought was, it was great a great thing uh but yep. now looking back it just seems it seems really clunky and not now you have these yep. wonderful like mid-drive motors yep. so i bet you can really yeah, appreciate that yeah completely serviceable and you know we know Bosch and Shimano which are the two ESS systems we sell and service you know they have our back so it's like we can confidently sell a bike and know that you know a few years down the road if you need a part uh or perhaps a new battery at year 8 or in the year 9 uh, you're not going to be left hanging. And I think that just means, you know, you won't have a sunken investment. You know, there's no throwaway bikes here. It's like uh, something breaks, we can, we, you know, source the new part, uh, install it, and you're back off in, in, in riding. Where I think before 2015, before Bosch and Shimano made it in the USA market, uh, it was, you know, kind of the Wild West yeah, of e-bikes. Oh, yeah. It was self-engineered and a lot of DIY kind of thing. And, you know, these brands, you know, were coming and going and sourcing new, you know, repair parts for these things, you know, even a year or two down the road uh, was was impossible. And so I think because of that, you know, we've narrowed our focus to just Bosch and Shimano, uh, you know, where we have confidence in, in, you know, having the ability to support those, those bikes. Yeah. It's like uh, such an overlooked part of, I think the e-bike boom in America that Bosch is, is one of the central players because I mean, Bosch is just this massive, massive company with, you know, a long, long legacy. And like you said, very reliable versus if it was some other, you know, company that was smaller, like you said, like that service aspect and the, the, and the fact that these are like much more expensive bikes, yeah. you know, and for you realize, people. Like, so they're feeling more confident. They require anyone selling their product and a mechanic working on it to do certification every year. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're, in fact, when they first came into the country and they would go out and visit the dealers who would be selling the bikes that would have their product before right. they were right. shipped. Wow. Right. So yeah. they really care about that end user having a good experience, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So we're all in on, uh, you know, Bosch and Shimano and the higher end, uh, 
experience just because we see it as, uh, you know, that's how bikes hold their value. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, they have a higher upfront cost, but man, when you're done with that thing, you could sell it for more than you imagine, you know? It, and so it'll be more like a, you know, selling a used car at that point, as opposed to just throwing away in a dumpster. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I want to ask about that, that sort of like sticker shock conversation and how you have that with people that come in the front door. Now, I'm sure most people, a lot of people come into Splendid. It is probably somewhat of a destination shop because you do sell such things that are relatively hard to find in, in a lot of other shops around. So folks are kind of ready. They know what they're getting into price wise, but like, how, how do you have that conversation with folks that are just like their jaw hits the floor? A lot of what we do here is really providing people with information so they can make an informed decision, right? So, you know, that is explaining to them, you know, why this is more, getting them out on the bike, even if it appears they're probably not going to buy one so they can experience that. So if they go out and try something else, they'll have a understanding of that and then they can make the decision you know is this worth me saving money for or going to the credit union to get a bike loan or should i just get this bike right now that's less expensive but that's part of our job here is really you know somebody that walks in for the first time never looked at an e-bike sees a three thousand dollar price tag and they've never even seen a bike over eight hundred dollars right 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 then it's really yeah it's like here's why you know and helping them understand that so they can make a decision. You know, it's, you know, I, we're not hardcore salespeople here. Yeah. So that's part, you know, it's important for us that nobody has regrets about what they're buying, you know, and that includes remorse over spending too much or getting the wrong thing. Right. So it's, yeah, we make sure they know what they're getting and why. And I'd love to hear a few stories about who's buying these bikes. Yeah. I mean, what are, what are some oh of your gosh. customers like? Oh. Is there an overwhelming we amount of like young families? We have the best customers in the world. Yeah. So young families is a big yeah. one. I'm yeah. Sure. yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And you know, it's people who are looking to transport themselves in a different way, get out of the car or have a, a experience with their kids. You know, we have had people sell bikes. There's a family that we had years ago, one of our early customers who actually, had a health crisis in their family, a young child that was very sick that had to go to the hospital a lot, and one of the parents needed to stay home with them. They had made that decision, and that re meant selling one of their cars, and that they chose to buy an e-cargo bike to move that child around and take them to care, and you know, long story short, it's a long story, but you know, that was a formative experience for the whole family. You know, instead of going to the hospital, that little child was going for a bike ride every day that they went, right? So we see things like that too, where people realize it's gonna be more economical, like this gentleman I was talking about earlier who chose not to buy a car because, you know, commuting back and forth on a e-bike made more sense. Well, so it's, you know, wasn't, it was economics for him. Um, but we also see, you know, people coming here, you know, for what still attracts people to Portland is an understanding that this is a place that you can choose other options instead of getting in a car every day. And so they come here for that. And then they come here to Splendid Cycles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we've met people um, like planning to move back to Portland um, and purchasing a bike over the phone before they even get here. So it is ready to go the day they move here. Yeah. Or they've just moved here last week and they come in, now they need to do this. But yeah, lots and lots of young families and, and uh, you know, they're just, it's an amazing group of people. Just really, in, you know, inspires us to come to work every day, 
you know, and at this point we'd have kids who have grown up on these bikes, mm. you know, and that are riding their own bikes quite a ways, um, okay, pedaling their parents, you know, when, when, it, when, it, when someone comes in to buy a bike and they just sort of happen to say, Hey, by the way, my parents bought a cargo bike from <laughs> yeah. you, right? That's going to be probably oh, the no. coolest day. Then I'm or no, you'll be a little bit dreadful because you'll be like, Oh no, how really, old are we? Really <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah don't we know. already have sure. customers like from back in the bike gallery days, right? Mm. That mm, are, of course. Yeah, Definitely their kids not. are buying cargo bikes now. Okay, yeah. okay, so yep. that's, that's already happened. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, but, so uh, yeah, so yeah, and I, and I notice a lot of people talk about um, like this cargo bike lifestyle huh. and like t saying that people move to Portland and sort of like the, one of their first things on their mind is to get one of these bikes. Yeah. I think that really speaks to that. Like yeah. for someone who sees that, and maybe maybe they're not converted yet. Maybe they yeah. haven't sort of seen the the e cargo bike you know, light, like what the heck is that? What would people expect in the cargo bike lifestyle? It's like uh, bike fun all day, you know? And so, you know, it's a sunny Saturday and, you know, you load up the cargo bike and you head out into the town and you go visit friends, you meet at parks, you go out to Broughton Beach on the Columbia and go for a swim. You, you know, go, 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 go get some lunch be. at, uh, you know, food carts. Yeah, and can, it's an all day thing. You can, cause you can carry almost anything. You just throw it in there. It's like the trunk of a car. You can go further if you got your battery, uh, and you can bring people along with you, kids or whatever. You can throw a so, kid's bike in. You know, oh yeah. Right. That's what back. I like to see too. The, the people that throw the kids or have the kid's bike strapped on or yeah. put in somehow. So that's great. Cause then the kids get tired or not. They can, they can ride or not. Okay. Well, that sounds like a pretty good. Well, and I think what, you know, I see too, is it's like, I think the parents and the children develop a different relationship or a bond that is very different from uh, even a child trailer and it's very very different from a car where they are looking into a tiny little mirror right and that's how much of their child mm -hmm. they see or mm -hmm. maybe they see the back of their child's head because they're facing backwards right but with a cargo bike there's you can touch you can hear you can you know we talk about kids giving mom or dad the cookie hand up you know or Whatever, you know. Can you give me his, give yeah. me his apple you know, or something? Um, yeah. yeah, you know, it's, it's all part of the experience. So, you know, uh, I had one dad who was going through a divorce that got this instead of a car, got a cargo bike so he could ride with his son when he was with his son. And he came back about a year later and said, this saved my life. It, you know, it bonded our, you know, it strengthened our relationship. We had so much, we've been having so much fun with this bike. It's just been the best thing for me through this whole experience, you know. So, yeah, they... Bring families together. That's awesome. I love, yeah. I really love hearing, I love, really love hearing about that. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so talk about, about like sort of the, the, the process of getting one of these, because I know a lot of e-bike customers are kind of new, uh, maybe some of them may, maybe newer to cycling in general, because yeah. we know that e-bikes give people who've never considered riding such an opportunity to experience this thing that a lot of us take for granted of sort of us diehard bike people. So is it, I'm imagining it's like a lot longer than you recall from your old bike shop days where like people could come in and just, that's, I like the red one. I'm going to buy that. Like, are people coming back multiple times and like they're having to talk through what they need versus what they saw on the internet? Like how's, is it the purchase process, like kind of a, a longer thing with these bikes? Or? Sometimes, but not yeah. always, you know, and yeah, we don't want spontaneous decisions that someone, you know, the bike's going to sit in the garage or, you know, not get used. That's not serving yeah. anybody. You know, and we offer people lots of opportunity to make sure they're getting the right bike. You know, it, it's not just test rides here, but if somebody is really trying to figure out if this big bike is going to fit in their life, mm -hmm. you know, is it going to fit in their garage? Is it going to fit at work where they park? Is it going to, you know, how does it feel going up the hill at home? We offer extended test rides to our customers so that they can take the bike out overnight in their own orbit and, 
you know, make sure that it's going to work for what they need it to do. Get it in the work elevator. You know, we've had many people that come down on a weekend, go to the office downtown and take it up the elevator, right? Just to see if it fits. Yep. Yeah, I heard you talk about that in an interview I, I saw online where you were saying like your you, one of your jobs, Barb, is to kind of like get get that out of folks, like yeah. how they're going to use the bike. Um, may, you know, lots of, too, I think e-bikes are maybe new for people, so they, they're not even mentally thinking mm -hmm. about some of these questions. That, that's kind of where your expertise comes in is you can tease those things out and get you them really to. what they need in a bike, especially we're sitting in this room, this turn room, I call it. It's got so many different add-ons you can do and finding yeah. the right mix can yeah. really make someone happy with their exactly. whole e-bike lifestyle. So. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of cargo bike lifestyle. I think, you know, people generally see one segment of it, right? And I would mm. say I was guilty of that too. When we got our first cargo bike, I thought, oh, great, I'll go to the garden center. That was the limit of my vision. Right, right. And, you know, I've commuted on them. I've bike toured with them. I've, you name it. And now I don't drive in at all in town. I do when I leave town. I, I, but when I'm in town, I do not drive because a cargo bike with e-assist especially, has completely taken away any reason I have for getting in a car. Um, and I think people don't know that that's possible for them, right? So it is. It's making asking them questions like, oh, do you like to camp? Do you, you know, what are you, you know, how do you as a family operate together? Or what is your threshold with comfort with traffic? And do you want to learn things about riding and town and, you know, getting a sense for like really how far are they going to take this? So that, you know, if they come and saying, I'm only going to use it for taking the kids to school, I can't tell you how many times we've had people tell us that and then come back, you know, within a pretty short span of time and say, we're selling a car, right. you know, because that wasn't what they came in saying they would ever do. I love that. That's so great. Yeah. So, so switching gears a little bit, like, um, we're, we're almost two years now to when COVID really hit and the lockdown stuff started. What, what happened to, at Splendid when that first lockdown order came in and everybody kind of shut down for a bit? What was that experience like? Well, initially, I would say, you know, we were probably in the same boat as everybody else. There was so much uncertainty of what was going to happen. So our first reaction was really like, how are we going to take care of our customers and how are we going to take care of our staff? You know, that was the impulse that Joel and I had. But it became clear pretty fast, actually, to us um, that we were going to stay busy that there were enough people, well, because over the years we'd developed a remote business to by selling bullets and things to people in places that don't have bullet dealers, you know, in the middle of Connecticut somewhere or wherever. So we had an understanding how to do that. And we were getting enough calls from all over the country and locally over the phone that we could really help people figure things out, that we don't have to have you here for a test ride because of the 10 years plus of experience we'd had at that point we knew again what questions to ask, how to help them figure out what to get. So we stayed, we got busy pretty fast. Yeah. Um, and then we, we a knew. A couple of weeks of slowness there yes. in April, but by yep. late April 2020, it was clear we were just getting our butts kicked. And yep. it was all, you know, hands all on the deck. way through. <laughs> that story's similar to a lot of shops. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it was, you know, it was before we had product shortages. So we had plenty of inventory to sell. Uh, yeah. Midway through 2021 is really where yeah. our eyes supply opened on you know, supply really chain headaches. Supply chain had way and, more impact. Yeah, I mean, and that still lingers today. Is that how's that really? Yeah, how's that yeah. It's not I just mean, lingering. It's, it's the thing. It is. Yeah. Full on. Wow. Yeah. Our wow. Larry vs. Harry bullet order that was supposed to ship like uh, this week from from Taiwan 
uh, is delayed all the way to June now, so we won't see him until late July. So that's that's 88 bullets that uh, were supposed to be here, you know, in the springtime and help us. What about that e-bike uh, order that was supposed to be here in November? Yeah, then <laughs> yeah, we have a you know Scott e-bikes that were supposed to be here in November, and then it was delayed to February. Now it's delayed to May, and who knows, you know. Yeah. So there's. Yeah, we have numerous headaches uh, with with product. Um, yeah, with the bullets, we're going to be able to just use floor demos, let people make buying decisions. They can test ride, experience it, place their order, and then come August, we'll, you know, all hands on deck, and we'll we'll get bikes built and delivered to to, to our customers. But you know, it'll be midway through 2023, I think, before we're through this uh, supply chain shortage. I mean, it's right now, it just seems, you know, uh, pretty, <laughs> pretty heavy, you know, at the moment. I have orders placed all the way to the end of 2024 with the bullets. I mean, that's over 500 bikes. Uh, yeah, the big transition from last year to this year is we went from buying 20 foot containers of bullets to 40 foot containers. So everything going forward will be, you, you know, twice as many. And we have more more orders too. So our, our volume is going uh, up significantly. Uh, but that these delays just means, you know, we had to expand the warehouse to, to, to handle big piles of bikes all at once. Um, we had to go out and, you know, get a, you know, a line of credit with Umqua Bank, you know, to, to help finance this. So yeah, when they do become available, up to this point, but we can't do that. I have to buy 88 bikes all at once. Yeah, that's a lot of, bikes. you know, it's, yeah, it's a big, big pile of money. I mean, we've self-financed and through family and friends and our own our cash savings, up until yeah. 2021. And then, you know, 2021, we had to uh, finally go and you know, meet with a banker and <laughs> and figure all this out. Yeah, uh, so that we're ready. I mean, we haven't even used it. What's crazy is we haven't used it yet, but we expect to, right? Because... All these bikes could arrive at the same time, and you know, normally, which probably will happen. <laughs> yeah, and so that's a Can't lot wait. of cash to have. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we have a, a warehouse ready to accept piles of bikes, truckloads of bikes, and we have you know financing to be able to to uh, pay for them and not not be a stress and strain. You know, I don't like anxiety, so uh, we have we're planning for 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 growth and you know, hope for the best. So, so what, any, any idea on, I mean, I'm just struck too, about how much has changed uh, with these bikes again in the last decade yeah. and given how close you both have been to them. Like if you look into the future, is there, is there a product related thing that you think will be different or do you think anything, any trend kind of Man. stuff that you can share I mean, in a crystal Jonathan, ball? Honestly, I couldn't like 10 years ago or, you know, 12 years ago when we were still working at the bike, I couldn't have imagined these. Mm, true. I'm pointing at the yeah. turn bikes. No yeah. one can see me here but doing that. But I'm pointing at the turn saying these were beyond my imagination at that point. Wild. Or yeah. beyond my interest. I had no idea this would be something I'm passionate about, believe in. Yeah. You know, it, it's that's what's changed, I think. You know, and I think that's what I see is one of the biggest changes, people's mindsets. You know, when we first started selling e-assist, we actually had to convince people why it was important on a cargo bike. And, you know, People would roll up to you if you were using it and say, oh, you're a cheater, you know. And that mindset where it's almost gone away. I cannot now remember the last time somebody rolled up to me and said that, um, where it used to be pretty common. And so mindsets about what bikes are, 
um, how how they can be accessible and how they can, you know, if they have a motor that isn't cheating, it's an option for getting you a form of transportation that fits your needs, right? So it's, yeah, that's what I see changing is like, you know, and I think that's how I've seen the bike industry changing since I started in the 80s. Is there's just always been more and more options to fit more and more needs. You know, at one point it was mountain bikes, right? I remember when the first mountain bikes came out, I, and I remember when the first clipless pedals came out. You know, all these things that were never a thought until they happened, and now they're like everybody has one, you know? And I think that's, we'll have something we didn't imagine, you know, like think of a group of people who right now can't get on bikes. Okay, it's going to be more adaptable for folks that have mobility issues. You know, I, th I think that's different heights. You know, very tall, very short. Um, kids, like what's going to come out for kids? I think it's all going to be pretty beyond our imagination. But you can imagine it if you imagine whose needs aren't being met. Right. Right. Yeah, I hear you. And, and do you ever wonder? I know you both are people who tend to get involved and support things that, that you believe in, even out, outside of biking. But uh, any thoughts on how maybe like a, a legislative bill that, that promotes e-bikes and gives financial incentives? Is that <laughs> yes. I'm assuming you'll be very you supportive know, of that. I, how you yes, thought about? Well, we have to mention Representative Powell, Powell right? I mean, power. she power. Sorry, yeah. power. Uh, you know, she is going to probably make some things happen here in Oregon or work with some others to make things happen. And that's really exciting to me. I think, you know, having been in a shop that sells these high-end bikes, I have had concerns about who cannot get these because of the expense. Um, that's an issue. And, and I would love to see more people be able to get them. So that accessibility, financial accessibility, is a big part of it, I think, in p giving people rebates or, you know, s somehow making it, accessible is I think going to be a really important part of it. So yeah, very yeah, much in support and, of that. And it must've been great to know that a state representative came and, and, and got, got her bike from the shop and now, now she, so this is rep, uh, Karin Power from Milwaukee. Who's, um, yeah. who's, who's talking about having an e-bike incentive bill next session. So that, that would, that would be nice if we could cut the ribbon on that in front of splendid cycle or something. Oh, yeah, I don't I, you know. know. Oh, yeah. I think there's, I don't like want to take say, there's, that. No, there's, I mean, we <laughs> just to get it done would be nice. Yeah, but we're on the shoulders of a lot of other shops, right? There, you know, it's, it's, there's so many people here. There's people working really hard to advocate for bikes, which I have to admit, we don't do a lot of advocacy work. We're pretty busy advocating in our own way, which is well, getting we, people on this, bikes, yeah. right? Every day, yeah. Every day, and so it's, you know, I, I mean, and there was a time in my life where I did that a lot, and because I didn't own a business, I was working for someone else, and I had the energy and the time. Um, so, yeah, there's so many people working really hard that, that there's an e-bike working group that you're aware of. I, yeah, I yeah. Know. Those folks are should be watched, you know, they're going to make some things happen and I'm watching them. I can't attend their meetings. It's a time doesn't work for me, but they have to be given a lot of credit for what's where things are going. So what is the, uh, what's the future look like for splendid more specifically? <laughs> uh, anything yeah. there you, you feel like sharing about, um, you got, wow. you got another bay that someone's currently in, but I mean, is there, is going to be a bigger shop? Is it going to be just kind of see what happens here? Get out of the supply chain thing. What do you think the, the future looks like for the shop? Joel? Man, uh, looking into the crystal ball there is, uh, it's it just hard to say, you know, uh, the, the supply chain challenges, you know, the effect on growth, you know, whether we're going to need more, more employees or, or more space, 
uh, you know, more cash. I don't know. You know, it's like I, I, I think we've made that decision to expand, you know, warehouse capacity and cash flow, you know, to support uh, for this upcoming season. But, you know, what's it going to be like? I think, you know, we're, we're going to just see more of the same. You know, there'll be more people figuring it out that, you know, maybe you don't need to own two cars. You could go to one car and then have uh, a, an electric bike or an electric cargo bike or both to utilize, you know, as the right tool for the job for getting around, you know, and uh, uh, I mean, I enjoy automobiles because I can get out of town. I really yeah, enjoy going to, yeah. you know, in, out into the into the woods. Yeah, out in the woods, out into eastern Oregon. But, you know, Barb hasn't driven a car since June. You know, so that's eight months. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know? No, I haven't been behind a wheel, and that's you know uh, a big I mean, deal. You've, of it. you've been in a car. I've been but in a car. It's it, yeah, and and, the, and and people's concerns about the climate are, are not going to go anywhere. That's only going to become mm. a more acute sort of narrative. And yeah. these and, and these bikes are just such yeah. The an best amazing... way to address that, I think, is just to make personal choices that are you know transformative. Yeah. I think uh, well, bikes electric bikes, electric cargo bikes, all of these are, you know, great solutions for uh, a number of problems, including health, you know, yeah. I would yeah. say. Well, talk about that. mental health, right, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is, it's, it's physical health, it's mental health, you know, and people, I think, you know, if, if I had a choice in terms of how I might describe the world, I mean, right now there's a lot of crises happening for a lot of people, but some of that is, you know, too much TV and too many hours behind the wheel of a car you know those things are toxic right if given in the wrong mindset when you're in those in under their influence right and i think people are starting we see people who are starting to get that and so supporting those people is really exciting for me you know um being able to provide them with a tool for switching off the tv switching off the car and realizing how going back to these more simple, slow paced, you know, you don't have to go everywhere fast kind of mindset. And it's, you're still fine. You still have, you know, you may have an even richer life, right? Um, you're less stressed, you know, the stress that people feel driving a car. It's like, I ride a bike so much that I don't feel that when I'm driving. I might feel when somebody else is driving, like, ah, what's going on? But, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a noticeable change that can happen to a person, you know, and I, that's, you know, I get excited about thinking about supporting that in the future, whatever that looks like, you know, because for us, like, I don't know, care more about people having a good experience on this planet while they're here. And if we can help in any way, serving others that way is a big part of what motivates us, you know? Yeah, that's, that, that's great. I was going to, I was going to ask what keep, what keeps you coming into the shop every day. Uh, but I think you just kids. nailed it. <laughs> you well, kids, family. Happy kids, really, yeah. really happy kids. Yeah. Like, a lot of things. Oh my gosh. You know, my, and happy mom and dad, but really happy kids. I think it's our goal to serve others, you know, and be be of service. Uh, and what a great way to do it! Uh, yeah, it, you're certainly doing it because the shop looks really, really great. And, and I'm really proud of the staff we have. And I don't even usually call them staff; they're my coworkers, mm -hmm. and they're really an extension of our family. Like especially these last couple of years, they have been our pod. Mm, true. Right. You know, yeah. um, and they are all remarkable people, including somebody that started about a week ago. We're just so stoked about our new hire and all the people that are staying. 
that have stayed and been here for as long as they've been. And yeah, a lot of old bike gallery veterans who. <laughs> yeah, I saw Kelly know, Eichler in here. That's yeah. a really wonderful yeah. full circle moment, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's great. I mean, he's, you know, so we have a lot of people we trust completely, you know, to when we're not here, we can, yeah, we know there's. That's some of the future I think about for the business too. How can we provide an environment for them that, uh, you know, either, you know, supports them in their goals in life, you know, and that's, that's like, whether it's staying here and working for us or learning something here or using this space. Like we had a young man working for us last summer and his goal is to go back to engineering school and he needed a part-time job during preparing for that, you Mm. know, Mm -hmm. and that's where he is. We don't get him this year because he's becoming an engineer, you know, and I love supporting that, but you know, um, with the others, it's like they've chosen to stay in this business professionally long-term. How can we help them do that? How we help them grow professionally? How do we help them grow personally, you know, support them and their families or whatever they choose to do in life, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think we pay people pretty good and, you know, our objective is to... We provide benefits we don't have to provide and, you know, we really care about who's here. So Everyone works under 40 hours a week too. So it's like we're Mm -hmm, all, mm -hmm. you know, like in the 30, 35 hours a week. So there's a good life work balance there for for everyone. Uh, You know, and I think that's what keeps Barb and I involved because we're not going to get burned out by working... 50 hours a week. I mean, our first few years when we were by ourselves, that was uh, very common. Yeah, I'm happy yeah. not to, to, to have to do that anymore. Otherwise I'd, I would have been burned out long ago. Yeah. So giving them more freedom, get that, that, cause they give us a lot, you know? And so it's our, yeah, I just really want to look for ways to even, you know, we, we've been very conscious of how we grow the business. We're very, you know, for the size of business we are both physically and in, revenue or, you know, how many bikes we sell, whatever, we have a very small staff, surprisingly small. If you told other people in the industry that we have what, five, six, seven employees, seven employees total, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and that would be shocking to many people in the industry, but it's because they're all brilliant. They're all hardworking. They love what they do. They love people. They love bikes. And we give them, you know, so for me, what's, what I say when I think about what's coming in the future, it's like, what more can I do to support them so they can support the people who walk through the door, mm-hmm. you know, looking for ways to make their lives better. So that when they are here, they're like 110% in, you know, and they are, you know, and if they can't be, let's give them the freedom to go away for four days and do something or, you know, and yeah. do something that enriches them. And then they can come back and contribute in the really fabulous ways they do, you know? Yeah. Or one of our mechanics, uh, takes the month of October off every year, you know? And that's like, okay, let's, yep. let's, let's <laughs> okay. make that happen. Right. No, it's like, it'll, but it, you know, it, it really pays off for us. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Them. Yeah. So looking for more ways to do that, more ways to support customers. Um, yeah, I think just keeping our eyes open for what the trends are, you know, that's part of what we have to do. And that's hard to predict, you know. We mm-hmm. couldn't have predicted COVID. We couldn't have predicted how it's affected supply chain. Um, but keeping our eyes open and watching, that's what we see as our job in the coming years, I think. You know? Well, and hope for the best, you know. There's, there's always potential for disruptions. And, you know, hopefully we can weather through all that and make sound choices. Well, seems like you've done that so far. Uh, thanks, Joel and Barb. You're welcome. For chatting. Thank really you, appreciate it. Thank you.
That was Splendid Cycles co-owners Joel and Barb Grover. Be sure to check our show notes for links and resources mentioned in this episode. The Bike Portland podcast is a production of Pedaltown Media Incorporated and is made possible by listeners just like you. If you're not a subscriber yet, please become one today at bikeportland.org support. You can listen to more episodes and find out how to subscribe at bikeportland.org podcast. Our theme music is by Kevin Hartnell. And I'm your host, Jonathan Maz. Until next time, thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the streets. Bye.